me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 33 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. On this episode, I'm joined by music journalist Mitch LaFon, who hosts his own podcast called Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, which you can find everywhere you find Metallicast, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Mitch and I talk about podcasting and of course a whole bunch of Metallica, including how he scored an advanced copy of the Black Album, watching Metallica from behind Lars's drum kit, attending the infamous Metallica GNR show in Montreal, the upcoming SNM2, and so much more. Speaking of SNM2, I want to remind all of you in the Metallicast Monday Show to check out the next Metallicast live stream. It will be an SNM2 launch show on the at Metallicast Pod Facebook page and the Fans on Experts YouTube page. It'll be happening on August 28th, the release date of SNM2, at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Also, I am very happy to announce that I will be partnering up with MetalTalk.net for this live stream, so you can also watch it on their Facebook page as well. Check it out because I'll be joined by Scott Pingle and Doug Ryeth of the San Francisco Symphony. Scott is the bassist who played Anesthesia Pulling Teeth at SNM2, and Doug is the principal harpist, aka the tattooed harpist featured in the making of SNM documentary, and who performed at both SNM concerts. Now, here is episode 33, which I am calling Metallica Talk. With Mitch LaFon. Mitch, how are you? Good. Bienvenue, as we say in Montreal, and uh as of yesterday, I think you can find me on Amazon as well. Amazon and Audible. We uh, we added some extra Excellent. Outlets, so. Excellent. I know. So a lot of options to check out Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Mitch, uh, I really appreciate your time here. I know that yeah, no you're worries. very busy. Um, I like to always start off when I have a first-time guest, kind of mm-hmm. finding out their entry point into the band. So can you tell us a bit about the first time you heard Metallica and how you became a fan of the band? Well, you know, I was very, very late to Metallica. You know, I don't listen to uh, radio. And so, of course, Metallica in Montreal, they they weren't really being played on radio back in the 80s. And then I remember much music. Our, our you know, our MTV was like, oh, my God, they've got a video. We're going to premiere it. And they talked it up. And then they showed one. And I remember thinking, my God, that was awful. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I didn't like the, uh, the whole sort of war thing going on. So I was like, okay, eh, I'm out. Uh, and, and then there was a record store I used to go to in Montreal called Rock on Stock, which sold bootlegs and all kinds of other stuff. And the day before the Metallica Black album came out, I went in and he said, oh, we've got the new Black album in and it comes out tomorrow. And, and I went, oh, you know, I live down in the sticks. I'm not going to be back tomorrow. It's, you know, 50 kilometers away. He goes, he goes don't, don't tell anybody. I'll sell it to you now. <laughs> and I wasn't a fan, but the the prospect of owning it before everybody else did, I thought, <laughs> okay. So he sold it to me, you know, regular price, whatever it was, 15 yeah. bucks or whatever it was, you know. And I played it on the way home because the, the car had a, a CD player. And I loved it. I, I loved the songs. I loved of Wolf and Man. I loved Through the Never. I thought it was. I thought it was fantastic. And and from there, I became a fan. And and, and I had a buddy at the time called Jay. And Jay, well, he's actually he's still a buddy all these years later. He was a huge, huge, huge Metallica fan. And he was like, "Oh, okay, you you finally like them. Let's let's go find them." So we we went down to Mansfield, Massachusetts, and. I'm trying to think it was like a 94. Anyway, we, we went to see them on a bunch of shows and we saw them at the uh, Olympic stadium with guns and roses, the nice. infamous uh, James getting burnt show. And oh, you were at that show. I was at that show with Jay and, and we went to all these different shows and I started seeing them a lot. And you know, their live show was undeniable. Yeah. You can, you can listen to the early Metallica stuff and you hear James's voice and he sort of sounds like a screaming girl. No offense, but he, you know, his voice hadn't matured. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then you listen to Load and Reload and you go, oh my God, what the hell are they doing? And even St. Anger, you go, oh. but then you go see those songs live. You go see Until It Sleeps live. You go see St. Anger live. You go see all these songs live and you go, wow, 
that's a different beast. So yeah. so it was the fact that this record store allowed me to buy the black album before the actual release date. <laughs> and uh, which I guess it must have been on a Monday, right? Because they released albums on Tuesdays back then. Right. So I had it before everybody else. I felt special, you know, <laughs> you know, and then I went with Jay, who was a big fan to see all the shows. And I remember that show in Mansfield, Massachusetts. It was um, must have been 94. And, and uh, it was it was just spectacular. The fans were all into it. There, there was an energy that was undeniable. You know, you go see some shows and the fans sit back and they clap politely. Yeah. And and even some of the bigger bands like the Scorpions and stuff, they get loud. But nobody gets Metallica loud. Like, <laughs> like this was a whole new level of crazy. Right. And it's impressive. And so the, it started there. So I started late. Listen, had they put videos on MTV and much music in, you know, 84, 85, 86, 87, I probably would have joined in way before. I mean, yeah. you know, if you see a video for Fade to Black or you see a video for, for Whom the Bell Tolls, yeah, yeah, you'll probably become a fan automatically. But right. they didn't exist. Right. Exactly. And the whole we're a mysterious band thing was real nice, except I was in Canada and the whole mysterious thing up here didn't really work for, at least not for me. I mean, other yeah. fans became fans, but it didn't work for me. Uh, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, uh, you know, news groups or Facebook. So if they didn't exist in your media world, which was MTV or much music, they just didn't exist, at least to me. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, other other fans discovered them, obviously, by going out to see Wasp and going out to see Twisted Sister and whoever else they were touring with. But I didn't because I lived in the sticks. <laughs> well, to tie into one of the points that you made, you know, seeing them most recently on the World Wired Tour, they yeah. were starting most of their shows with Hardwired and Atlas Rise, obviously two mm -hmm. new songs. And the fan reception for the new material was just very very strong um it, it always is even on the death magnetic tour yeah. when they started off i think the first four songs out of five were like broken beaten scar or uh, what no broken anyway uh and they would do those and, yeah. and fans were like yay cyanide yay and it's like wow <laughs> yeah you don't you don't see that a lot no. for, for other bands the, uh, most bands that have been around for almost 40 years when they play the new songs, you know, unfortunately, it's the theme break. Exactly. And to start off your set with a couple new songs and have people singing the words and be excited about it, I think says a lot about what kind of band that they are. Yeah. And 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 here's a fun fact about the Death Magnetic tour. I'm actually in the Death Magnetic Quebec video. <laughs> really? Yeah, I was I was uh, I was shooting the show. I was, uh, you know, a photographer. Yeah. And and in the first three songs, you can see my bald head rolling around <laughs> that, that, that pit. You know, I'm, awesome. in, I'm in the pit. So yeah. I because I, I remember that clearly it was uh, a Halloween uh, time at, at, at that time, I believe. Right. And I took out my daughter. And, and if you go to my Facebook and stuff or you can find a picture of my daughter sitting on Metallica's cases <laughs> at, at that show. And they had all these cameras set up, you know, like like um, like cranes. You know, they had these camera cranes yeah. set up, and I was like, oh. So I so I spoke to the crew and stuff, and they said, oh yeah, we're filming this, and it ended it ended up coming out a couple of years later. But right. you can see me in the first three songs on occasion. You can see my sort of bald head darting <laughs> up and taking a picture, and that's awesome. I, I'm I'm in Quebec Magnetic. It was great. I saw five shows and uh, four shows and five nights, I think, at that wow. time. It was like. It was like Montreal, Quebec, Quebec, Ottawa, and man, it was spectacular. Yeah, spectacular. That must have been the. Sh I believe that's the show, if memory serves me correctly, where James is wearing the Halloween mask during Seek and Destroy at the end of the performance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was wearing, and the uh, the opening band, Godsmack, the drummer played in a Spider-Man tights. <laughs> So you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, doing photography. So let's backtrack a little bit. At that time, yeah. Uh, so where did your journey uh, begin in terms of your career arc? I know, um, I know that there's a story I would love for you to be able to tell where, mm -hmm. and maybe this is the beginning of it, maybe it's not, but you interviewed Gene Simmons at the mm -hmm. age of 11. Correct. Yeah, in uh, on June 9th, 1980, I... Uh, was in New York City, and I got to interview Kiss's Gene Simmons at 
uh, O-Coin Management. It was the, the first time I ever did an interview. And it was for the Kiss Unmasked album. And it was, it, was, it was quite a story and quite an event. I mean, you know, I had looked on the back of the record albums for the name of the management. I, I phoned up the management. You know, I phoned the operator, got the number, phoned the management and said, hey, uh, would you like to do an interview? Because I always spoke very well, you know, in, in, right. in grade eight. In grade eight, when they did the English testing, they said that I was a post-university level because, you know, they had A, B, C, they had levels A, B, C, D, E, whatever. Mm -hmm. I was at level L, and they said, they, they said, well, we don't have any other levels. We, we never expected anybody to get to L, so we don't, we don't have the other testing kits. So, so I always spoke well. So when I phoned, you know, the Kisses thing and I asked for a management, it didn't sound like a little kid asking for an interview, right. and they granted it. <laughs> and, and I guess it was circumstance because, because I guess by whatever May or June of 1980, nobody was really looking to interview Kiss. I mean, I'm assuming. Yeah. Because, because it was it was really way too easy to set up. <laughs> um, and then I had to uh, convince my mom to drive me to New York. She was like, well, you're going to go. And, and, and she did to her credit because wow. you know, a lot of parents would have said, yeah, go fuck yourself. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so she did. And um, she did the first part of the interview to make it look like an adult was coming down, you know, <laughs> and, and I wrote all the questions for her because she's like, I don't know, kids. Huh? Right. So I wrote the questions for her and she did it. And uh, about uh, 15, 20 minutes in, she said, oh, my son would like to ask you a few questions. Would you mind? And then I went in and I asked Gene questions. He was in a, you know, a brown leather coat in a room with, you know, golden platinum records up and down yeah. the wall and, and no makeup. I mean, no makeup at all. And it's funny, um, when I got home to Montreal, people were like, oh, you sure you did. You're, you're a liar. And it's like, no, I'm not a liar, actually. I, I actually did it. And for, for the few that believed me, like my brother, because he knew we went, yeah. he was like, he goes, he goes, there was a rumor that it's actually Michael Anthony, that Gene Simmons is actually <laughs> Michael Anthony. Was it him? Was it? And I'm like, no, no, two different people. Yeah. Um, but if, if you go to YouTube and you Google Mitch LaFond, Gene Simmons, uh, the interview comes up because I put it up on on the internet a few years ago. Yeah, um, it's in fact I put it up, I think three three times. I, I did a, I did my um, uh, on on the last Kiss tour. I interviewed Gene again, and I did the listen uh, an episode of listen to my first interview with Gene and listen to my last interview with Gene. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, so yeah. so, I, so I've, I've I've used it quite a bit, but but that's where it started. You know, the first interview nice. was in 1980, and that's it, amazing. It, it was real, and it aired and. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's getting a lot of hits on on yeah. YouTube. What did it air on? Was it like a local TV thing? At the no, time? no, no. A Canadian broadcasting, so a CBC. So no, okay. no, a major. That's awesome. You know. Yeah, they they had um, they had a a, a weekly kids show back then, and yeah, uh, I had been on it a couple of times. I can't remember if it was after or before, but. You know, the, I, I would go over to the Olympic Stadium to see the uh, home opener of the Montreal Expos, and they would interview you like, what's the greatest thing about home opener? And you're like, oh, the hot dogs. Oh, what's the greatest thing about <laughs> hot dogs? And, you know, so, 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 no, I got it on that, and, and, and awesome. it's aired ever since, obviously, yeah. on, on all the podcast networks and on YouTube. Right. So, you know, what's funny about it is that Gene talks about a whole bunch of Kiss stuff that was upcoming yeah. that never came up. <laughs> uh that is really fun that is such a great story so that was the start of it all for you so where do yes. you where does your past sort of go from there as you navigate through school and into adulthood uh you know it it it, it became uh i backed into it you yeah. know, I, I did a master's in psychology, so I have nothing to do with journalism. I have nothing to do with um, that kind of thing. And uh, Metal Edge magazine back in the day, oh, started yeah. Print yeah, they started printing email addresses of rock stars. And I was taking a, a university course, uh, one of the master's courses on the developing technologies and all that. And, and one of the things was you have to start using email. Right? Remember, this is 93, 94, right? Right. And so I would email all these people. So I would email Tom Hamilton of Aerosmith and, and um, Tommy Lee and Charlie Benente and all these people and had these conversations. And then you had to demonstrate to the professor that you had these conversations <laughs> and, that, and that you knew how to use email. I mean, 
can you imagine how rudimentary this whole thing was? Anyway, so, <laughs> but but through that and through me not just emailing grandma kind of thing, you know, through through right. me emailing these rock stars, I developed a friendship with a lot of them. Yes. And so when they would come to town, I would go hang out and all that. And eventually through that, you know, there was a there was a place up here called Brave Words. It was a magazine. Uh, it was a great magazine in the day, not not so much now. Uh, well, it's not a magazine anymore. It's an online Website, thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but through that, every so often I would feed them some news. And at some point, the owner says, you're 100% right all the time. <laughs> How is that possible? And I said, well, you know, luck. <laughs> and and uh, they said, well, why don't you come and write for us? You know, can you write? And I went, well, listen, uh, doing a master's i'm pretty sure i can write something right you know, not not an idiot <laughs> yeah. uh, and it started there so i started doing that for them and and you know i, I started uh, the, the the local record companies in montreal were a lot easier to to, to gain access to than toronto toronto you came up and you were bravers they're like fuck off you know who, who the fuck are you yeah. we deal with you know we deal with the toronto sun and the cbc and the real right. majors you know yeah but in Montreal, it was a lot easier. They're like, oh, 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 somebody wants to talk to Iron Maiden. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that was, you know, listen, being in Montreal has been a great advantage because had I tried to do this in New York, LA, Chicago, I would have just been crushed by the real media, you know, the real powerful right. thing. So in Montreal, it was very easy. And, uh, you know, so I just, it started there. I backed into it. Yeah. And I started doing it and I started doing it more. And, you know, I've been very conscious of always attaching the name and the face to whatever I do so that people know sure. so that when I go to a show, they go, oh, I know him. Right. Right. Yeah. I know a lot of podcasters and a lot of reporters. They don't want to be seen. They don't. So when they go somewhere, they're anonymous. Yeah. Which is nice, but it defeats the purpose because then you. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So it does. Yeah. It, it, it has nothing to do with being a show off or anything. It has to be. It's all about the branding. Yeah, you absolutely. To, you have to be recognizable, you know. Right. Uh, so, so it started there, and uh, I started doing that more and more. And then, in, in somewhere in around 2012, 2013, somebody approached and said, "Do you want to do a, a, you know, a Kiss podcast and a this and that?" And I was like, "What, pod, what a podcast? What the hell is that? <laughs> What's a podcast?" Yeah. Uh, and Ryan Roxy of uh, Alice Cooper's band. He, he was always into the podcasting. I mean, I remember him back like in like 2004 going, Apple has a thing called podcast, <laughs> you know, right? Because that's where it comes from. It, it yeah. comes from, it comes from iPod. It was yeah. the, it was, it was the, it was a cast for the pod, for the, you know, that, that's right. where the words. Uh, and, and so I started there and eventually I branched out, uh, you know, I did some time at uh, Westwood one and I did some time on um uh, what's the other one called podcast one but eventually i i just went solo and I, yeah. I'm, now i'm solo and and it's a million times better for me i do what i want when i want i interview who i want when i want that's great uh you know at, at westwood one for example i was like you got to do an hour a week no more and i was like yeah but i did three interviews this week too bad <laughs> you're like i can do a month worth of interviewing in a in a day so <laughs> i have i mean yeah. yesterday yesterday i did four yeah you know that's uh, great and today i'm doing two yeah so so you know i i i got i the great thing about being independent is you know they put ads on the podcast and in the past you know uh, westwood one would would account to you like every nine months right and then they and then they would take 50 percent, and so you're like Nine months later, you get a check for like seventy five bucks, and you go, "That can't be right." And they go, "Oh well, you know." And of course, there was there was no way to prove anything because yeah. their accountants did whatever their accountants did, and they right. sent yeah, you a, yeah. a. So now I, I I get all the cash that that the ad revenue generates. If I want to have, you know, I did interviews recently, and I, in the last year, last two years, I guess. I've done uh, Rick Ashley. I've done Bananarama. I've done Culture Club. And people go, well, it's not rock. I go, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I'm interested in talking to those people right. because, you know, Rick Ashley did the whole Rick Roll thing. And <laughs> it, it, it's fascinating to talk to him. Yeah. 
Um, Bananarama, listen, I, I was 15, 16 when they were on MTV. Trust me. <laughs> they made it into a few dreams, you know? Right. And, and Culture, Club, Culture Club, I mean, Boy George is, is an iconic figure. You may, yeah. may or may not like his music, but he is an iconic figure. Sure, you know? for sure. So, so I do that. Now, I don't always do that. I mean, you know, today I'm interviewing the Scorpions, and uh, recently I put up a Tawny Katane interview, mm -hmm. and I put up a Klaus Mine interview, and I put up David Coverdale, and I put up, all, you know, a lot of heavy sure. hitters in the rock world. But, but being independent is the greatest thing, greatest yeah. thing. It's funny to hear you talk about discovering podcasts because I, I I had a flashback to when I first heard that term. And uh, I remember like getting an iPhone for the first time and being like, oh, wait a minute. I have a podcast app. I go, right. and, I'm, and I was completely naive. I'm like, I wonder how much these things are. And I go into the app. I'm like, they're all free. I'm like, right. why am I not listening to these? And then from there, you know, now it's just – it, it's the new radio. It, it is the new radio. It, it's on demand. You can choose yeah. what you want. You know, why Why sit through hours and hours of terrestrial radio to have them maybe talk about the Scorpions, you know? Right. They may not. Now you go, oh, Mitch interviewed Klaus Mine. Fine. I'll go listen to that. Click on demand. Done. Exactly. And you go, oh, Mitch interviewed Bernard Rama. Great. Don't like it. Skipping it. <laughs> okay no but i mean you know right. when you listen to terrestrial radio you sort of have to back in the day you had to sort of sit through the good and the bad right you're like uh oh coming up next hour bon jovi you're like okay 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 yeah. hey, oh oh we, we didn't get to bon jovi this hour but we promise we'll get to it next hour oh fuck okay i gotta look <laughs> and, and and you know that was part of the game that they that they would play you know they would make you wait for the now you don't have to yeah you know i interviewed richie sambor you just type it in mitchell fawn richie sambor off you go right so much easier it, and, and, and better. There's just know? so much content to choose from across the board. And I think it's fantastic. And it's funny because sometimes I'll have a plan like for this podcast. I'm like, you know what? I think getting this person for this episode or talking about this topic, I think it's going to be a really interesting for my listeners. It's going to be a really big show. And then it's just sort of does okay. And then another episode where I'm like, uh, I think this one will be like, I enjoy doing it. I'm not really sure there's an how much my listeners will, you know, it, it blows up into a bigger thing. You never know what, um, what you never know what's going to stick. Exactly. It's kind of funny because I did Tawny Katane recently. In fact, I put it up uh, on Monday. Now, by the time you air this, it'll be you know two weeks later, but I, I put up Tawny Katane and I thought, okay, she was in the videos and she was on a couple album covers. She's not the actual musician. And on the first day of going up, YouTube had already 5,000 5, views, like, within wow. 10 hours. Yeah. I'm like, huh. <laughs> okay. And then Van Halen News Desk ran a story about it. And I'm like, wow, okay. Right. That's interesting, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I didn't send anything to Van Halen. They found it and wrote a story. And I'm like, wow, okay. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen or ladies or whoever wrote it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and then I got a couple of folks on Facebook and say, hey, Mitch, I – I was listening to, you know, WX whatever OR in, you know, Indianapolis, and they were talking about your Tawny Katane interview. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and you know, I, the, the, the show before I had done Rick Emmett of Triumph, and we talked about all kinds of great stuff. And Tawny is outdoing him like 12 to 1 in terms of views yeah. and listens. And I'm like, oh, well, okay then. <laughs> you well, just never I'll, know. Maybe I'll talk to Tawny again. Why not? <laughs> Call her back up. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it is, it is strange what sticks and what doesn't. Yeah. Is there anybody as a fan that is like a dream person to interview that you have not yet had the chance to? Oh, tons. Yeah. Tons. Um, you know, listen, I have met and spoken to John Bon Jovi, but I've never interviewed him. I have, uh, I have run into Axl Rose on a couple of occasions, but never interviewed him. Ozzy, Ozzy in a sense – you know, at a press conference, I got to ask a question and he answered me. Does that count as an interview? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. So I'd like it counts to counts as a, a question. <laughs> yeah, you know, listen, but look, I, at least I can say in my resume, I asked Ozzy a question and Ozzy <laughs> right. gave me an answer. You know, uh, but I'd like to sit down with Ozzy. So there are those. And of course, uh, you know, David Lee Roth, Eddie Van Halen. Uh, I've interviewed a bunch of the Metallica guys, but I haven't done. Uh, James, James would be exceptionally yeah. cool. 
James is, you know? James is a little bit more of the recluse of the band, it seems, these days, right. which is funny because he's the one front and center during the live shows. But he's, in actuality, a, a pretty private person. Yeah, so I, I'd love to interview James. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. All the times I've been backstage at a Metallica show, I, I mean, I, I've obviously interviewed uh, Kirk face-to-face. -face. I've interviewed Rob face-to-face. Uh, I've, I've seen Lars walking around and said hello. Oh, you know what? I did run into James once. Once, and that was actually kind of funny. <laughs> it was uh, at the end of the Heavy Montreal show in 2014, I'm going to say. Yeah, it might have been 2014. Mm -hmm. um, I was watching the uh, the show from the stage and from behind Lars's uh, riser for part of it. Because um, I know the crew guys, and they, 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 you know, they let me stand sort of. And at the end of the show, uh, one of the crew guys, and I'm not going to say their names, he took me and said, you stand here, stand here, stand here. And I went, okay, fine. And he put me right at the exit, and James comes out with a big bath coat on, you know, a big, big furry <laughs> bath coat, and, and literally like fluffy, fluffy slippers. You know? he, so he, he, he finishes the set, rips off the wet shirt, rips off the wet shoes, and was like, and, and um, so he's standing there bare-chested in this, in this bathrobe, and he he looks at me and he goes, "Which way? Which way do I go?" And I was like, uh, "That way, you know, that way." And 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 that was it. That was my uh, that was my exchange with James. And 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 it was it was impressive because they they literally landed in Montreal at seven o'clock at night. Yeah, they played the show at eight, and they were wheels up back to San Francisco at eleven thirty. So the wow. show ended, and in their bathrobe and all that, right into the minivan police escort right to the uh, airport airport right to san francisco that that was it and wow. they showered at home wow <laughs> it was Incredible. like wow <laughs> but, but, but i did i did have that moment of he's standing in front of me in a bathroom yeah. going which way do i go it's like uh that way. <laughs> there, there's that way that way so, so that funny. was kind of cool yeah you know um and we got to talk that heavy montreal show what a fucking moment yeah you were by is this to show you were behind Lars's drum kit for yeah 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 well yeah so uh one of the guys that works with with the band uh i happen to be friends with and in fact i'm friends with two of the guys that work with the band and he says uh he says oh uh he goes are you gonna watch the show tonight I go, yeah he goes he goes where i go oh, i'm standing over there you know because it's it's a festival so right. you're sort of in a pile of a million people sure. no, no 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 he goes let me get the band on stage and then come around the back here and stand here and you know so I do that, and uh, you know, three or four songs go by, and obviously he's busy getting things set up and helping, you know. Yeah. And and then he takes me, and he puts me right behind Lars on stage, and so wow. I have pictures on my Facebook and other places. So if you go back to you know August 2014, I guess what day was it? I can't remember, but if but if you go to my Facebook on that day, you'll you'll see pictures yeah. of 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 me looking out and so you you, you see you know you you know the the the, the scrim behind lars is you, there's holes in it you can see through it right except that when you're out front it just looks like a black thing but it's not sure. you know it's a you know it's an illusion i guess so i'm looking out and they're playing fade to black and you see the forty-five thousand or fifty thousand people in the crowd and you see Lars drum, and my, I'm telling you, what a what an experience! Wow. Because first of all, Fate to Black is one of my favorites. Yeah. So I'm seeing like this iconic song being played, literally three feet behind Lars. I mean, if it wasn't for the scrim, I could have been tapping him on the shoulder. <laughs> and you see this crowd, and like I said before, Metallica crowds are not like other crowds. Not they're, a they're insane. Crowd. <laughs> not and. And I don't want to sound like a homer, but there are some cities that you go to, Chicago, Boston, Montreal, yeah. where the crowds are just louder. Yeah. They're just better. And, and you know, you go to a show in L.A. and people are like, all right, well, <laughs> all right, well I'll watch three songs and then I'm going to go out to Spago. Well, that's why they left for San Francisco back in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, 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 and and no offense, but but that that's how it sort of is. And and same thing in Toronto. People are like, oh, that that's great, but I've got to go to Timmy's at you yeah. know, Tim Hortons. Uh, I got to get out of here. You you keep playing, fellas. <laughs> you know. But Montreal, uh, Boston, 
Detroit, right. Chicago. Those those are the nuts, you know. Those are yeah. the crazies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're 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 sitting there. They're playing "Fade to Black." Lars is drumming. I'm I'm literally can can tap him on the shoulder. It was just incredibly spectacular. And then after that, after watching two or three songs, you know, he comes out and gets me. And they had uh, on the side of the stage fans standing. And then there was sort of a second level. Right. And he walks me up to the second level. And uh, I watched the entire show from there. And now, of course, people go, oh, it's got to be so cool to watch the show from there. It's like, well, yeah, it is cool because you're close to the band and you get the energy of the things. But on the same time, you're on a stage and the sound projects outward and they have in-ear monitors. So you actually don't hear the show. Right. You know, I, I a couple of years ago, I saw Ghost from the side stage. Yeah, I love that band too. Yeah, but basically I saw Ghost from the side stage. I heard nothing because- <laughs> Yeah, the sound goes out. Know, yeah. Right, well, Metallica has some wedges and they have mm. some some uh, stage noise. Right. Ghost and Foreigner, another band, they don't. They're, it's Everything is in-ear. Yeah. There is zero sound stage. So when you're on stage for both bands, and I have been for both bands, you hear nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you literally which is sort of nothing. surreal <laughs> when you're in, so I, yeah you know I, I was watching ghost and you know and they were playing and the fans were it was again at heavy montreal but 2018 2019 was it last year must have been last year and they were playing and the fans were cheering and i was just there going man i wish i could hear this you <laughs> gotta be great look at those fans they're looking like they're having a fantastic everybody's time. really loving this <laughs> And I heard not the only thing I heard all night was when the drummer would hit the cymbal. So all I heard was <laughs> that's the only thing I heard. Did because you? the other drums I think were were electronic or something because I couldn't hear the other drums. All I heard was great. Did you play name that tune with yourself? Sounds like the cymbal to But 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 you know, listen, watching watching Metallica from the stage at Heavy Montreal with fifty thousand people, it was just it was mind-blowing i mean not too many people can say that they've had an experience like that that's so that's truly being right behind lars i mean you know scroll you know google it you can find those those pictures they are on my facebook of that day i mean i i was posting them as as the show was going on and i was asking am i allowed to post these (laughs) no because there are some bands that are very secretive about what they do and sure and you know i i um I, I was on a stage, I was side stage for Slash, and I posted a couple of pictures, and a big bruiser came out and goes, goes don't, you, don't, don't take any pictures, you're not allowed. And I was like, oh, oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, all right. Because, you know, Slash playing at Heavy Montreal in front of 40,000 people is a bad look to put on Facebook. Yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> yeah. Well, while we're on the subject of Metallica concerts, I would not be doing my job if i just let you brush over seeing that gnr metallica show that's become infamous due to mm-hmm. not so great reasons but can you kind of give us your memories of your firsthand account of being there oh yeah absolutely so uh faith no more opened fantastic bill there. yeah fantastic bill except i i don't like them so we skipped it oh <laughs> <laughs> uh you know we uh my buddy and I, Jay, he just bought a new Honda Civic, and and I mentioned that because it, it's relevant to the story yeah. later on. But we, we go down, we, we go to a pizzeria, we get a we get a pizza, and we're going okay. Well, we'll we'll eat pizza while Faith No More plays because fuck them. And <laughs> I love that band. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I don't. <laughs> it's also related to Heavy Montreal. A, a couple of years ago, they go we we booked Faith No More as a headliner, and I went. That's not going to work. And guess what? It was the worst attended Heavy Montreal ever. And I went, yeah, because they're a fucking bar band at this point. Anyway, that's a whole different story. Uh, a whole different story. Uh, but okay, so we get there. I mean, the pizza and blah, blah, blah. And then we walk over to uh, the Olympic Stadium, and it's it's full, man. It's, it's, it's cracking. Yeah. And Metallica comes out, and they start playing the songs, you know, and then, and then they start playing. And then all of a sudden you hear is, whoa what the fuck was that and the song ends right and and the band disappears and then i I don't know how long it was 20 minutes half an hour it it just the time was running and you're like hmm 
And Lars comes out and he goes, James had an accident and, and we're going to be unable to play. And of course, the, the crowd starts going, and uh, the, the crowd's like, fuck. And, was it obvious uh, what happened or it was just confusing being there? Well, it was, I mean, it was kind of obvious because he, he yeah. walked to the front of the stage and then there was a wall of flames that went up. Right. And you just heard, it just went, and you went, yeah. ooh, what kind of note is that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> And uh, and then the, you know and then Lars comes out and does his his thing, and then we wait, and we wait. I think it was four hours we waited, and then Guns and Roses comes out, and, and the crowd is completely restless. And we were just sitting there going, "Dude, it's fucking eleven o'clock!" Like you know, like come yeah. on, bro. And he does one or two songs, and then he sits on the drum riser, and he does a couple of songs sitting on the drum riser. And it's like, dude, get the fuck up. Right. And of course, there had been talk in the media before that he was having problems with his voice or something, you know. Yeah. And he 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 gets up and he throws his mic at the drums and he goes, uh, what did he say? He said something like, uh, uh, we're out of here. Uh, ask the promoters for a refund or something like that, you know. Oh. And, and he, he, he throws that, he throws the mic and they walk off and the band plays a little bit longer and they just sort of looking at each other and, you know. Such uh, an awkward spot for them. <laughs> right, but one they've done before because right, they did the true. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I saw them open for uh, Aerosmith at Saratoga Springs and he did the same fucking thing. Yeah. And and they, they just disappeared. And we waited and waited and think, okay, they're going to come back. And I said, I said to Jay, I said, Jay, I saw Axel at uh, the SPAC, you know, the Saratoga Springs Performing yeah. Arts Center with Aerosmith. He did the same thing. He threw down a bottle and walked off, and then people started getting, you know, rioty and started throwing stuff around. We got to go. Yeah. He goes, no, I'm not going to go. They're going to come back. out. I go, Jay, you just bought a new Honda. You are <laughs> you better go because they are going to rip that fucker because that, that's a yeah. light car, bro. Yeah. That takes two people to flip <laughs> <laughs> and you know we had parked right outside the olympic stadium and he said oh you know fuck all right so we left and of course they overturned all the cars and destroyed everything on the street and stuff and he phones me up the next day he goes he goes you were right they would have destroyed my car I go, yeah i was right you know i go you owe me a new car bro so, so yeah so so we left we didn't see any of the riding you know we, we yeah. I, I, I was like dude that's i've good. been down this road with yeah, yeah, yeah. Before. it is time to leave um, you know, so we left, and of course, uh, you know, James ends up playing later with a thing on his arm, and it's a big, it's a big deal. And Guns and anyway, it was what a night! What, wow. what yeah. a night! I didn't, I didn't see Faith no more. I had no interest. <laughs> I, I, you know, listen, I don't like the band. I, I don't bemoan anybody who likes them. You yeah. know, good for you. Music, music touches us all in different ways. It's not like your band sucks. You know, I don't feel that way at all. Yeah. If you love them, you love them. I don't. Well, you know. to I will as much of a Faith No More fan as I am. I will say this to tie in with your point that you made. Um, when they were coming around on their reunion tour, they were scheduled to play Madison Square Garden, and I was like, oh, I like. No. I really did not think they could sell that out. Long story short, I got moved to the theater at Madison Square Garden. Right. <laughs> but, well, but that that was it. You know, uh, the, the, there was a local radio guy here who had gone to the promoter because sometimes they come to us and ask us our opinion. And I said, no. And the, and he said, oh, yeah, you're going to see it's the greatest thing. And, of course, they booked it because they listened to him. And it was a disaster. And, and it was like, look, guys, they're playing, you know, uh, 2,000 seaters. How are you going to get a band that's playing 2,000 seaters to headline a festival? It makes no sense. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. You know, anyway, I was right. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and, and by the way, it was an awful show. Just awful. That heavy Montreal with Faith No More. But well, I digress. <laughs> well, it's unfortunate that, I mean, for many reasons, it's unfortunate that all that went down at the Metallica GNR show. But as a as a fan of both bands, I would, it, it's really unfortunate now that both bands are back together and the likelihood of them ever do anything together ever again is slim to none after that debacle but well you know 
I agree that it's probably slim to none because they don't need each other. Well, that you know? that too. They can both fill stadiums yeah. alone, so why why split the door half half? Um, but you know what? Who knows? Maybe the pandemic's going to change things because a lot of folks are going to be very hesitant about going back to shows, especially True. large stadium shows. True. But if you say, "Hey, you know, the Eagles in Boston are coming to town. Hey, Metallica and Guns N' Roses are coming to town. Hey." You know, uh, Madonna and you two are coming to town. You go together. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> You're right. Like you know, uh, uh, I think for a lot of these bands alone, I think fans are going to go. Yeah, no, dude, I'm not risking it. But I think that maybe if they're together, people go. Hmm, I get to see Guns and Metallica. I could yeah. die, but <laughs> it is Guns and Metallica. But it is one hell of a way to go. So <laughs> yeah, you know. So so you, so you never know. I think I that's think true. Gonna be a, I think there's going to be a new normal, and I think. Um, to save the industry, there's going to have to be some of these wild, massive packages. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I know some of you are not pop fans, but I mean, can you imagine if Madonna and U2 combined? I mean, what a oh, weird and massive. wacky deal. Yeah. It would be massive. You know, yeah. if Foreigner in Boston got, not Foreigner, um, what was the band I said before? Uh, uh, you know, Boston and, and whoever I said before get together, it, it'd be massive. So, yeah. you know, who knows? Who knows? Favorite metallica album that's when i start asking the oh, hard-hitting questions this, this to people. is gonna drive people crazy but uh, <laughs> uh, for, for me it's the black album and yeah. i know you go back and you listen to master of puppets and you listen they're much better albums and they got much better songs and they're more iconic but the choice is not based on the material the choice is based on the personal relationship and what it means so the fact that i got to buy it before it was on sale yeah was kind of cool and so it evokes a, a pleasant memory, you know. Uh, the fact that from that came the fandom uh, is a special thing. So, so it's not so much. I mean, you you can sit here and say, "Whoa, you know, Master of Puppets, the song is better than of Wolf and Man," and and for whom the bell tolls is better than you know, uh, Enter Sand. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that, I get that, but sometimes it's based on the state of mind you were in you know right. like a breakup song a breakup song means something to you not because of the song but because of the emotions attached so for me it's the black album because it led to me loving metallica yeah it led to me discovering metallica it led to me moving away from some of the pop stuff that i was liking into the 80s and getting into more of the heavy stuff you know the priests and the sure. the maidens and so for me, it's the Black Album, and, and I know fans are going, oh, it's a horrible one. We're not debating the material. <laughs> I am telling you that it is an emotional response based on what happened at that time, and you cannot uh, dismiss or argue that because it well, is what it is. So know, for me, it's the Black Album. The Black Album was my entry point into the band as well, and <laughs> I was very young because I had two older brothers, so I remember seeing – you know, them having MTV on and me seeing the Inter Salmon music video. So that was the album that I initially, you know, Gravity hung on to. Right. right. And, it, you know, for me, like I have a warmer spot in my heart for like the Load Reload era because I was in middle school when that was going on. Right. So that was my, that was like my Metallica in a lot of ways. I had to go back in time and rediscover yes. the first four records and do my homework and, you know, and catch up on the history of them. And obviously, I love those records. Master of Puppets is my personal favorite, but I have a soft spot in my heart for that era of Metallica, whereas I understand other people do not. Right, and and it's so obnoxious when somebody goes, oh, load sucks, how can you like that? It's like, yeah, it's not about the material. It's about, you know, like you said, I was in middle school, the video was on TV. Yeah. Like, it, it's about what, what emotions and what memories it evokes in you and not sure. necessarily about what's on the album. And And for me... The Black Album evokes all these memories and all these emotions. The others don't. The fact that I bought Master of Puppets in 1996 at a Walmart, well, I mean, who fucking cares? <laughs> yeah. it means, that means yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know? Uh, great music, great album, but there's no there's no personal connection to it. I was late to the game. Yeah, and there's a reason, too, uh, that the Black Album, you know, I, I just saw yesterday, I think it was, that last week it sold mm -hmm. 1900 copies beating you know the newer releases from lamb of god and tool and 
all these other bands it, it, it's just a universal record that just will not slow down it's their back in black it's you know it's just yeah. one of those albums that it, it stands alone from the rest of their catalog it just is it a monster it's very accessible and 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 it's funny because you know on my twitter and stuff i'll sometimes post uh on this day in billboard chart history and it'll be like right on this day and you know uh, 2001 Metallica's Black Album was at number 187. People right will go, "Oh, you're a liar! It wasn't released in 2001." <laughs> and I go, "I go. The charts have nothing to do with right. when it was released. You stupid fuck! It has to do." <laughs> wearing a lot today, but it's like it's like it just goes to show how popular the album. And, yeah. and I'm, you know, I'll check it today. Let's, I'm, keep talking. I'm gonna. I'm well, gonna it's check it. it's funny because it. I did. Um... Uh, last summer, I did a weekly track-by-track track breakdown of the Black Album called Black Summer. And every week, I would check the Billboard 200 for its current placement. And when you right. look at the Billboard 200, the majority of the rock albums in there are... You, you have the Black Album, you have Back uh, Back in Black, you have um, you know maybe Appetite yeah. for Destruction or Nevermind. You know? All those August albums are still going 1st. strong. August 1st, 2020. So the beginning of this month, Metallica's Black Album is at number 194 wow. on the Billboard 200. But it didn't come out in 2020. Shut up. <laughs> it's on the fucking chart on August 1st, 2020. You, you show me any kind of album that has that kind of, of staying power. It's insane. I mean, when, when did it come out? 91? 91. August of 90, yeah, August, August 91. 91. So August of 91 to August of 2020. And it's still in the top 200. Right. Uh, you tell me. That's a phenomenon, you know. Yes. Yeah. And and you know, debate the musicianship all you want. Fine. Doesn't mean it's not a great album. It doesn't mean fa- folks don't like it. Oh, they sold out. Yeah. Stadiums. Fuck <laughs> you. And well, I like to when people say, "Well, that's not Metallica." I'm like, well, shouldn't the band themselves dictate what Metallica is? They might do something that you don't personally like, but if fans are fans if, are crazy, if they write right. the music, they record the music, they put the name Metallica on it. I'm pretty sure that makes it Metallica, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Yeah, and, and 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 it's 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 insane when a band does the same album over and over again. Fans go, oh man, you know they never grow. It's always the same thing. Right. And, yeah, and then when they do something different, they go. Oh man, it's not the it's not like the the past material. They've done something. It's like, well, which is it? Is yeah, it exactly. always the same thing? And and it's funny that there are some bands, and I'm gonna go back to the pop world, but Madonna, U2, Depeche Mode, you know, all these bands, they redefine themselves on mm-hmm. every album. Every album is completely and utterly different than the other album, yeah. and they're massive. Yeah, you know. On the other hand, ACDC has done the same thing for 40 years. And they're massive, so right. You know, let the artists do what they want to do, and you know, choose to listen or not listen. But I, but this whole criticism stuff is so incredibly ridiculous. I mean, if Metallica had done Master of Puppets for thirty years, fans would be sitting here going, "Dude, they've done the same fucking thing for thirty years. <laughs> right. Like they right. don't grow. It's like okay." Well, and then they do change. They go, oh, they did Lulu. That was horrible. Actually, hold on. That, actually, that was horrible. Bad, <laughs> you know, bad example. But, you know, it's like, leave well, it alone. I think, and, and, you know, every artist needs to have their own journey. And I think in a lot of ways in recent years, they've come full circle where Death Magnetic, Hardwired Self-Destruct have been very positive, uh, positively mm-hmm. responded to and kind of uh, a return to the roots. But, you know, that those albums probably do not happen if they don't take the detours along the way yeah of course and and you know my apocalypse is a fantastic song yeah i i really liked hardwired when it first came out because i thought wow what a great album um i don't think some of the songs translated very well live um just because there was there was one song they played and then they had these big drum cubes and they were they were oh now that we're dead yeah, and it was just it was obnoxious. It was horrible live. <laughs> no well, and by the way, the drum cubes they weren't even playing them. It, they, they were piping in the sound and it was uh, it was it was just awful. Um but but though I I find that going back to Hardwired now that some of those songs they just need to be three and a half minutes, four minutes and not 
these seven, eight, nine minute things because there's a lot of great four minutes in them, but there's not a lot of great seven minutes in them. And it's just like, okay, listen, let, let's let's trim some fat. That's you know, but so, Death Magnetic I thought was brilliant. You know, it's, they trimmed the fat. They got right to the songs. My Apocalypse, Broken, Beaten, Scarred. Come on, fantastic. So as a fan of the band, knowing that they, we know that they have at least started preliminary work on new material. Um, mm-hmm. They they said that they're working on stuff in quarantine. As a fan, what would you like to see from the next Metallica record? Well, listen, I, I would like to see uh, fast, heavy songs that are contained in a four-minute bubble. I, I don't need nine minutes of, of nonsense or noodling. Yeah. I, I, you know, so so essentially, I guess what I'm saying is give me another black album. Maybe not with the slick production. Maybe it needs to be a little grimier, a little dirtier, a little right. nastier. Fine. But I don't need nine minutes with, with these random solos that just sort of drift off into oblivion. I, I find that on Hardwire, a lot of the solos just started somewhere and then just they just didn't finish anywhere. It's just like, where are we going with this? Uh, so so give me give me nice, tight, heavy four minutes long. I don't need ballads, you know. I don't need yeah. I don't need every rose has his thorn done a la Metallica. But even though think, them covering that would be amusing at the very least. <laughs> uh, who is the band that covered that? Uh Children of Bottom covered um Britney Spears and they covered wasn't it Talk Dirty to Me or or I think they covered a poison song. That so sounds they, right. Yeah. So so no <laughs> I, I think we need to have very focused four or five minute songs, you know, that 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 you know verse chorus verse let's get in there let's get out of there uh we don't need nine minutes of whatever we don't need 10 minutes of just that's that's what i want i want sort of a a heavier focused black album their next release is you know the live album they did of the san francisco symphony snm2 have you had a chance to check that out in any capacity i have uh i actually was sent a, a a stream link so I, i've had a chance to hear it it's it's, it's phenomenal yeah you know, it sounds, sounds great you know i'm assuming it's been touched up in the studio because all live albums are sure it sounds, it sounds absolutely spectacular and uh you know i do have a, re- a request in to to interview the band which should be uh accepted and so i should be able to get somebody on the phone soon awesome. i've requested lars because uh i haven't done a proper sit down with Lars. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, no, it, it's, it, it sounds spectacular. I, I think it, if, and when fans buy it, uh, knowing that it's an, you know, an orchestral kind of thing or a symphonic kind of thing. Um, I, I think you're just going to be amazed. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the performances are, are fantastic. I mean, it, yeah. it sounds great. And they, the, the uh, audio, at least on the stream, I heard, I mean, and streaming is not a great audio right. barometer. But it sounds great. It's a great sounding, great sounding disc. And if you see the film, it's beautifully shot. It's really well done. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like sixteen or twenty four cameras. I mean, they, yeah. they 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 covered every angle and HD and you know, Metallica doesn't do things cheap. Yeah. You know, when they give you a product, they've really invested time and money, and you don't always feel that sometimes. Sometimes you get yeah. a, you know, I know I know this sounds old school, but you get a CD and it's just like this one paper insert, and you go. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Really? You couldn't have invested in, in a fold-out? Like, really? Metallica well, doesn't do that. Metallica absolutely. gives you uh, gives you stuff. And, and uh, you know, hopefully they'll get around to releasing uh, deluxe editions and box sets of all the other stuff. And, you know, yeah. It, and that's one of the reasons why I, I really love this band is because you always get the highest quality products yes. from them. And... You know, even back in the day, like I remember signing up for the fan club and I was not the type of person who would sign up for a band's fan club because usually, you you know, you get maybe like a sticker and like maybe like a a newsletter, but they had like a high quality, glossy, so what magazine, you got like a nice t-shirt, you got, you got, you know, special deals to get tickets. I was at the fan can on occasion. Yeah. I was like, this is worth the. 50 bucks or whatever I was paying a year to, you know, to, for all this stuff. They just always treat their fans well. Yeah. You get a chance to meet the band. You can win uh, backstage passes. And 
and the fan can. I mean, there was. I remember one fan. I can. missed they those. They released the uh, re- Dallas uh, reunion reunion arena Dallas nineteen eighty nine yeah. CD fan can four. I think it was. And you get that, and you go, "Holy fuck! I've got a, an an unreleased soundboard that most <laughs> fans don't have. Like, how cool is that?" I know. And I I, re- I remember getting the fan cans in the mail. My mom be like, "What is this?" <laughs> I'm like, "It's a bucket of goodness, mom. I got to go to my room." <laughs> Just imagine if Playboy had fan cans. That would be- <laughs> yeah, no, you know. Anyway, so that that was that. You know, good good times. Well, I think that's a good place to end. I know you have to get going. You have uh, interviews Scorpio. lined up. Um, I really appreciate your time coming on. Make sure. Uh, well, first of all, I'd love to have you back on at any point, yeah. Mitch. Uh, there's so much more we could talk about. Um, yes. Well, give me one more question. Why not? I got plenty. One of more time. question. Okay. Five more minutes. Let's, Let's see. We talked about a little bit about the the different risks that Metallica have sort of taken throughout their career, right? Like the Black Album was a little bit different. The Relo was different. Even S&M, it's a different adventure. Of all the things that they have tried, what is one that you think has been the most successful? And, I mean, obviously the Black Album is massively successful, no, but right, I'm gonna—I've got an answer for that. I, I am gonna go with the Garage Days stuff. The mm. fact they take Bob Seger and and uh, yeah. um, uh, 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 not Diamond Head. Well, they took Diamond Head, but what's the band? Uh, King Diamond and, and and Merciful Fate. Yeah, and they can take a Bob Seger song and a Merciful Fate song and some some of these heavy bands and some of the not heavy bands and turn them into Metallica songs. Yeah. And have this Garage Days EP that that becomes you know infamous, and then they go back and they do the whole sort of double album, and they cover all these different bands. Some are known, some are less known, and they made the Metallica songs. To me, that was spectacular, and that yeah. was very successful because you know you look at it and you go, "Really, a fucking covers album? How how lazy <laughs> right. is that?" Sometimes they're just cash-ins, you know. Right, but Metallica to me, yeah, wasn't. No, not when at all. Get, when you get that double album that had all those songs you go wow yeah they really they really turned turned the page into a metallica song they've really made whiskey in a jar a metallica song they've really made so what and and merciful fate um medley yeah like you go oh and then they went out and they did that tour where they played a lot of that that was awesome yeah and i mean who can do that i mean think of any band kiss aerosmith Warner, Journey, Madonna, you they go do an album, a covers album, and then they go do a whole tour of covers albums. People go, really? What, what are you fucking doing? <laughs> exactly. And Metallica does it, and people are like, oh, that's cool, man. That's yeah. really cool. And then um, I, be- I believe it was like an MTV or MTV2 special, one of the shows. Yeah, and, I remember that. Well, and, and, and it was cool. Well, think about cool. think about like Am I Evil, Bread Fan. Like these yeah. are Metallica classics now, even though they're not their original not songs. Fair. You know, and, and Turn the Page I think sounds great, and Whiskey yeah. in the Jar sounds great. Well, and uh, what was it, Ast- Astronomy Divine or whatever they did? Yeah, you know, Astronomy they, from Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Well, I, it's fine because to tie in with your point, you know, I think it's one thing to take a Diamond Head song and make it and pass it off as your own because it's a bit more of obscure of a song to a lot of people but to take turn the page which was already this massive classic rock song from bob seger and make it your own and you know like i know people who just assume that's a metallica song and and same with whiskey in a jar i mean whiskey in a jar the traditional irish song that dates back whatever 100 200 300 years people go it's thin lizzy it's like no thin lizzy was also covering (laughs) i married into an irish family so it's it's a big part of my life (laughs) it's a metallica song so so i think that in terms of an experiment to 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 take these songs and and make it what they did and have a tour based on it and a tv special based on it and radio shows based on it uh, I think that is uniquely Metallica, and I think only Metallica could really pull that off. I don't think, um, I, I just don't think ACDC doing a covers album. Yeah. And 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 listen, uh, Guns N' Roses did Spaghetti Incident, and people just go, "Oh, that was oh, what what was it? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, same concept. In, they got some obscure songs. 
and yet Metallica pulled it off, and people go, "Ooh, Guns N' Roses shouldn't have done that." <laughs> well, and I uh, I read interviews with Lars, and people are asking him about a garaging too. You know, they want more of it. Right. Nobody wants more. Nobody wants spaghetti incident too. In e- even on a regular album, when a band releases a cover song, I'm like, really? Like, you know, there's very few bands that can. Guns N' Roses did it on the Use Your Illusion albums with, you know, the, but there's very few bands I feel like put it when usually when a band puts a cover album on among original material, it it's just stands out to me as like, oh, it's kind of a filler. Yeah, I mean, to me, yes and no. When when you put out a like a, a good old CD of 75 minutes and, you know, one song out of 15 is, is a cover, you go, oh, OK, it's kind of cool, a little addition. But when you put like, you know, a nine song album out and you have a cover, and you go, right. Yeah. Only, only write eight originals. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, listen, sometimes uh, sometimes the covers, I mean, you know, um, Twist and Shout by the Beatles. People know that as, as a Beatles song and yet yeah. it's a cover. So sometimes the songs become super iconic for yeah. for new fans but uh not always no. anyway and garth brooks doing hard luck woman by kiss is fantastic i've not heard his oh he does uh garth brooks does two covers that i completely love and i'm not a garth brooks fan at all not that he's a bad artist or anything i'm just right. not a fan but he uh, he covers hard luck woman by kiss and he covers working for a living by Huey lewis uh <laughs> And and I think working for a living was written by Mutt Lang. If I'm not that that I'll have to check. I'm not not 100 percent sure. And he does these two covers of these two sort of 80s or 70s 80s classics, and they work. And you're like, wow, Garth Brooks doing working for a living. What do you what do you know? And it works. <laughs> That's great. Well, what better way to end the Metallica podcast than with Garth Brooks? This is why I love doing podcasts because <laughs> you never know where it's going to go. I love it. <laughs> King of rabbit holes. I, I yeah, I have, a, I have a tendency to do that. But, no, uh, that's my favorite part of doing this is just seeing where mm-hmm. you know what rabbit hole you go down next and where you end up. Mitch, I know you really do have to go. Thank you so much for your time. A scorpion. That'll be very exciting. You you have the full band. Oh, you have no. Uh, no. Uh, today today it is Herman Rarebell, the uh, nice. classic era drummer. And uh, me and Alan Niven, who was Guns N' Roses manager, yeah, we are going to uh, sit down and talk about the uh, Great White Scorpions tour from back in the day. And, That's great. And uh, Herman's uh, upcoming projects. He's got a new a new thing coming out. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. So it's going to be good. Not a bad way to spend a Thursday. Not a bad way to spend a Thursday, no. <laughs> all right, check out Rock Talk with Mitch LaFont on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Mitch, where can everybody find you online? Please uh, head over to Twitter and follow me at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. And of course, uh, you can just Google me, uh, Google Mitch Lafon, and you will find me on Facebook and on uh, Facebook uh, pages and Instagram and everywhere. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. Idiot Twitter is a great place to have uh, some friendly rock debates. <laughs> yeah. When you throw out the surveys and questions. <laughs> I, I have to say that for the most part, the uh, the folks that follow me on Twitter have been exceptionally re- respectful. There's very, very little, you're an idiot for saying this or you're... <laughs> right, yeah. Most of the people will respectfully agree and disagree with each other, which is very, yeah. very nice. You know, I, I, yeah. I'm, very, I'm very pleased that, that that's what's going on because... To, to wake up in the morning and, and and see stuff on fire would not be fun for me. So, <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, and and I just yesterday somebody was like, "Oh, uh, I don't like." Uh, in fact, they were talking about the Black Album. They're saying, oh, "I don't like the Black Album," and I, you know, and I said, well, "How can you not like the Black Album?" They go, "Well, I respectfully disagree with you. I, I never t- never touched me." It's like, okay, well, that's a fair debate. You know, that's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Yeah. 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 Uh, n- none of this. Well, you're an idiot. You know, none of that. <laughs> Right. So, so uh, I'm very thankful, and I'm I'm you know getting up to twenty thousand followers. So uh, let's add a nice. few of yours because I really want to get to twenty thousand. Know? <laughs> Absolutely, and give me about um, if you can give me about eighteen thousand of yours. That that would be, <laughs> be great. Yeah. And, you know, I I'm currently doing just a just a little over eight million Twitter impressions a month. So awesome. So about ninety six million Twitter impressions a year. So. I, I, I kind of like these round numbers. I have this this thing about round yeah. numbers. I want twenty thousand, and I want ten million. I'm, you know, 
that that's uh, <laughs> I'm looking for that. I'm hoping for that. So get there anyway. Yep. So follow Mitch LaFon. Mitch, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Anytime. Follow Mitch LaFon on Twitter at Mitch LaFon. Track him down on Facebook and Instagram. See if you can find those cool pictures of him watching Metallica from behind Lars's drum kit. It was a real pleasure talking to Mitch, and I want to thank him again for coming on Metallicast. You are welcome on anytime. But in the meantime, hear him on his own podcast, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, which you can find on well, anywhere you find Metallicast, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, the list goes on and on. There is no shortage of ways to find either of us. So make sure you download, subscribe, and leave a positive review. I am sure that Mitch loves five-star reviews as much as I do. Follow Metallicast on social media as well, at MetallicastPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please make sure you tune in to our SM2 launch show our live stream on friday august 28th at 8 o'clock p.m eastern time again i'll be joined by scott pingle and doug Wright of the san francisco symphony you can check it out on the at metallic s pod facebook page the fans on experts youtube page and now the metaltalk.net facebook page as well so there are three big ways you can check it out there'll be a live chat so you can interact ask questions it is going to be a blast it is a cannot miss event for all of us Metallica nerds. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, metal up your ass. Yeah! Fans not experts.